Welcome to the Freedom to Learn podcast, exploring freedom, autonomy and social justice in education. This recording was made at the 2020 Freedom to Learn online forum. I'm working with the Centre for Social Mobility at University of Exeter. And the study was done, it was written by myself and jointly with Malcolm Richards, and my professor, Anna Mountford-Zinders. So, research summary, we'll jump straight in. Um, The research aimed to provide a voice to experienced home educators. Um, There's an estimated 54,000, maybe 60,000 children who are home educated at the moment. And our study focused on families who were home educating for around a year prior to COVID. So the evidence is based on a survey which got 401 participants and we conducted 53 interviews over Zoom or Skype and they were collected between March and July. So one of the main things we found is that our study actually showed a massive range of diversity within home educating families which was really exciting. Um, The key findings were that the experience um, of parents with exams was obviously had had a negative impact on children because because of directly because of the predicted grades policy. Their children relied on taking their exams and they normally sit on They normally sit their exams at an exam centre or in a school. So when the exams were cancelled, most children actually lost out on a grade because they don't sit mock exams. They tend not to have a predicted grade and most of them self-study. So they're not taking part in a distance learning course. So one of the other findings was that home educators drew upon a wide range of skills and expectations about their children's education provision and that they adapted more easily to school closures. The research showed that participants were well prepared in their home environments and that was part of the reason for their success continuing education during COVID because their environments were well prepared for creative, productive and engaging teaching and learning activities. Interestingly, most of the, in fact, it was near on unanimous in the study that most of the home educated parents didn't consider with the nation calling themselves homeschoolers, they didn't consider that as homeschooling at all. And they often wished it was called crisis schooling, which they felt was a more accurate representation of what was happening because they reported it nothing, nothing like home education. The report showed that home educated parents shifted their educational priorities during the lockdown to focus on opportunities to develop their teaching and learning skills that they might not have otherwise learned. So we had lots of parents, there's a really good quote beneath, talking about how they were going to use the experience to pull away from formal learning and instead to teach coping skills, to teach mental wellness wellness skills and to support their children so that they would know in the future how to manage in a crisis. They welcomed the wider availability of online education resources And the study found that parents generally had a more holistic view of education. And when they described home education, they often did so 
as an extension of parenting. And, and in a way, it, they described it as more fully integrated with life in general rather than a separate activity of school or education and home. Some parents, interestingly, showed that they had at least one child home educated and another child or at least one child in school. So we had a whole section of families or a whole group of families that actually had the experience of both during lockdown and, and we looked comparatively at their experiences. Home educators reported a mixture of responses from local authorities with some reporting that local authorities were asking for evidence of learning during lockdown and others had no contact at all. So this, this raised quite an interesting discussion amongst home educators within the study about why they were being approached for evidence of learning when Ofsted inspections, for example, had been paused. So a very brief overlook at some of the data that came back initially. So there's a quite a significant number of families had been home educating for one to six years, took up the bulk of it. The longer people home educated, they tend to get smaller in number. But of course, that might just be the audience that we captured at the time. Uh, the level of education of parents was quite interesting. There was quite a high level of education, but there was also a significant amount of other qualifications that parents, that parents reported having. And that lends itself to something that I found as a researcher really, really interesting because what we found, something that parents talked about was the experience they had in their home education bubble. So that depended on their area and the groups that they mixed with. And what was interesting was that the range of job categories that came out, bearing in mind there's, lots, there's often a myth around home education that there's perhaps slightly hippie or a bit bohemian. And actually the job categories really dispelled that myth. Out of the 401 survey participants, we had 238 completely different job titles. And I thought that was actually really interesting. So we tried to put them, rather than listing them all individually, we tried to list them according to the National Statistics jobs, um, job sector. And we had a lot of teachers, a lot of um, uh, technical and software engineers, which I thought again, was quite interesting. But generally, there's quite a range. And that included as well families who parents were retired or on benefits or made redundant so there was quite a range which which was really interesting to look at so why do parents home educate um, I think that what was interesting for us was that the motivations that parents gave were actually quite different to the to the government guidelines so the government guidelines they have uh, a document that they provide for local authorities and in that it lists the laws around home education and some of the procedures around home education for local authorities and it lists in that document some reasons why families might home educate. So we did a bit of a comparison and on the left this is some of the things that home educated parents reported. There are there are a couple more slides on this which I'll just run through quickly. So I've on the other side, I've kind of, kind of separated the slides into kind of positive reasons and negative reasons. And I've got a comparison with, with the government guidelines. So home educated parents often reported that they wanted a closer relationship with their child. Lots didn't like the school starting age and they didn't like not seeing their child all day or most of the day and they wanted to be around them a lot more and that came up quite often 
as long as wanting a happier child, wanting hands-on experience rather than worksheets or paper learning. And they wanted to be able to tailor their child's education to their child. And, and most of them expressed a dislike for a one-size-fits-all education that they felt was what the school system was offering. Lots of them felt that, especially with younger children, that they would do better in a loving family environment rather than in a school. And there was a few families, not quite so many, but there was a few families who, who chose home education as an alternative to private education. But I'd say in our study they were in the minority. And a lot of families expressed that they wanted to home educate to retain the child's individuality or their creativity or their confidence and particularly their love of learning, which a lot of families expressed that they felt would be, <clears throat> would be squashed at school. So the most, the close, I think the closest government guideline that we could match to that was an education that aligns with a religious or cultural belief. But I can't, I don't really think it expresses the amount of reasons and the depth of feeling that home educators expressed about their motivations. There's a lovely quote from one of our parents in the study. She said, home education is a wonderful life affirming choice, which enables children to learn at their own pace about things of interest to them. It should be encouraged as a viable option and resources put in place to support it. I quite like that. So this was the motivations and this was the reasons home educators gave about what they disliked. So they didn't like the school starting, starting age. They were unhappy that their child, for some parents, their child was, wasn't thriving at school. Some reported difficult transitions to secondary school. Lots disagreed with the frequency of testing. Um, well, there were lots of families saying that the school couldn't meet their child's educational or medical or mental health and wellness needs. And a lot of families had this quote that the school failed my child. And initially, lots of parents said if they had had more support, they might have stayed in school. And interestingly, lots of parents felt that it took around a year to 18 months in order to transition from wanting to be back in school to wanting to remain home educated. So there seems to be a window, which I think it would be interesting for further research. There, there seems to be a window of 12 to 18 months that parents go through if they initially didn't want to be out of school, where they could be brought back into school if there was support as opposed to integrating with home education communities and perhaps transitioning to the lifestyle of home education. So in comparison, the government guidelines talk about child's anxiety, dissatisfaction with the structure, content or current education system, health reasons and school refusal. And I think some of those do certainly match up, but I think, I think what's missing is with the parents' responses, there's a heavy emphasis on the school not meeting their needs of the child and I think that's maybe not quite that doesn't quite come across when you read the government guidelines okay, so this was another quote from one of our parents in the survey I've been reminded of how much I appreciate the flexibility and the freedom to make our own decisions I've also been reminded that the qualifications aren't the be-all and end-all enjoying the ride gaining knowledge are more important we've made a few practical changes meaning during COVID um, though in how we home educate. 
Okay, so there's a few other responses that weren't quite so common, but they did come up. So again, on the right hand side, these are all the government responses and some of those did come up. Um, there's one that obviously that I can say did definitely didn't come up. Um, one of the government guidelines says that family reasons, which have nothing to do with school or education, is down here at the bottom on the right, um, and it gives the example of older children being used as carers. So I would say that's, I would say in the experience of the survey, that really went at odds with most of the parents' motivations, which were definitely very child-centred um, and very much focusing on what the child needed. Not to say that it doesn't exist, but it certainly didn't didn't appear that that's what char characterised home educators from our survey. It's another quote from one of our parents. <clears throat> I saw education was achievable in many different ways outside of the school system. Having trained as a primary school teacher, I wasn't anti-school, I was simply pro-education otherwise. And that sentiment about being pro-education came up again and again and again in our study. So the big point for most of the home educators was their response to the nation calling themselves homeschooling. So we had a response box where you could type your answer and this got by far the longest responses <laughs> that we had. So this, this quote kind of summarises really nicely most of the parents' feelings. And she said, we're all crisis schooling at home. While school families going to school think they're homeschooling because they're at home, experienced home educating families feel like they're at school being held up in a building in a yard all day, every day. The home in home education has always been a misnomer. And again, that sentiment was repeated so, so often that home education isn't about being at home. Home education is about being outside, taking part in community activities, taking part in activities outside the home, groups, clubs, classes, very little, very little happens at home in isolation. So one of the points, and I think it's, it's probably quite useful if you're not aware of home education, is home educators in the UK sometimes use the term homeschooling, but generally it's home education because home homeschooling is a term that we borrow from America. It usually means that they're doing school at home and when it's used in the con in that context in the UK that's generally what we're referring to that we're doing an element of school at home it's not as common according to our survey um, but in America homeschooling looks very different to home education in the UK so in America they tend to have school rooms classrooms or a school type setup at home where they're doing an element of formal learning in a similar way to school. So you might have fixed or set hours. I know there's some edu home educators here listening saying, yes, but there's an unschool um, following in America and there absolutely is. But I would say broadly, some of the research that exists does point to the majority of home educators or homeschoolers in America do actually follow the school at home and follow a curriculum. So in the UK, we have elective home education, which is the preferred term. And a lady called Joy Baker in 1952 decided she wasn't going to send her children to school and she didn't agree with the school system. And she thought that children would be much better educated or brought up in the home. And the, her case went to court several times 
and she won the right to educate her children at home eventually. That led to a shift, not immediately, but it did lead later on to a shift in or a movement in the early 1970s of children being educated at home. It started to become popular then, but it was really with a label of being a bit hippie or bohemian or perhaps for more middle-class wealthier families. That trend changed somewhere in the early 1990s to the early, that should be 2000s, and when there became a bit more of a diverse and popular style of home education that was more generally about education rather than lifestyle. There started to be lots of families choosing home education as a positive choice to make a different style of education for their children. And that was really often informed by educational philosophies rather than having no choice. Again, there's been another transition, it seems, that in the last three to five years, there's been an influx of a new subgroup of home educators that report feeling forced into home education and that they didn't feel they really had a choice because the school had let them down or there wasn't a school place or school wasn't working for their child. That doesn't represent the main home education population, but it is a small subgroup that does seem to be on the rise over the last three to five years. So this was a parent talking about her response to the nation calling themselves homeschoolers. And she said, contrary to what most people expect from the home ed community, um, the home ed community is vast and extremely social. My children learn about the world around them. All of that has had, has had to stop. What has not stopped is our semi-formal side of things. My children are still accessing the same online courses that we've always used. The STEM boxes still come through the door monthly, although then open for three days. This part of the routine has not changed and that's helping them through this. And that's something that we saw repeated in the study a lot. We saw this common thread of families who were successfully continuing their education throughout COVID because they were very used to having a blended learning style. They were used to using different platforms for education, including a lot of digital platforms. And they were also well equipped at home with different resources. So although they did find a massive difference in the way they practiced because they were going out for a lot of their activities, the part that they could do at home and the part of their education they could continue was largely uninterrupted. And that made it a lot less stressful for most families. So talking about the way that home educators do it, interestingly, a lot of the home educators said to me, I'm really interested in this one because we all do it so differently. And I thought probably that was the same before we did the survey. Here's a list of some of the more common um, styles, if you like, of home education. I know I haven't got them all, but I've got a, a good handful of the more popular ones. So we have within, within the categories of home education or the, top, the styles of home education, what I would say is that there is, within those, there is a range of unstructured semi-structured or fully structured activities and routine going on and that varies from family to family which I think why it appears on the surface that we all do it so differently. So you'll hear if you talk to home education home educators that their approach is autonomous, child-led, they follow an unschooling approach, radical unschooling, 
wild schooling, game schooling, world schooling, nature-based education, project-based learning. Um, some school at home is less common and lots are inspired by Charlotte Mason, Steiner, Montessori, Reggio Emilia, John Gatto Taylor, Peter Gray and Ken Robinson. They're all inspired by these educational leaders and these people were mentioned quite often when home educators talked about their education philosophy. They also talked about an individual and a personalised approach to home education rather than a one-size-fits-all. So I know not all of you are home educators on here. So what I can do is very briefly tell you about what some of those can be defined as. So unschooling is an approach in the UK that was inspired by the unschooling movement in America. It was a term that was coined by the late John Holt, and he wrote How Children Fail and How Children Learn in the 1970s. John Holt was a former teacher, and he's considered, or he's credited with starting the movement of unschooling in America. Are we to wash the floor, right? Um, pull this mop in the kitchen. <laughs> I've got a helper. <laughs> so... John Holt's movement of unschooling was supported by Peter Gray, who was a psychologist and a researcher at university in America. And Peter Gray founded the Freedom to Learn movement in America. It's moved across to the UK and has become much more popular. And a significant amount of the families that took part in the survey talked about their approach using using some of these terms mentioned but they also had and were a bit unschooly and I think that generally seemed to relate to the notion of stepping away from the structured curriculum style learning and following what the child's interested in at the child's pace when the child's ready. Um, as a branch of unschooling there's radical unschooling which is a more modern movement and that was born out of the unschooling movement, but it moves beyond unschooling in education and extends to the general lifestyle and living of families. And it's an interpretation of a way of living in a consent-based, in a consent-based way, I would say. Um, I think radical unschooling is probably the most misunderstood of all the approaches, even amongst home educators. There seem to be differing definitions of what radical unschooling entailed. But that's not to say that parents don't still act like parents and guide their children with radical unschooling, because the idea of radical unschooling is a mutual, mutual respect and a shared sense of equality of that child within the family life, and the parent isn't seen as the authority. But this approach, according to most home educators, requires a lot of time and attention and energy because the adults need to be mindful, involved and support their child to radical unschool in an intentional way. So very briefly, wild schooling is about honouring a connection to nature and the natural rhythms of the natural world and supporting children to foster a relationship with the landscape around them and to support both their educational, emotional and physical well-being. World schooling is a unique approach where families choose to educate their children through worldwide travel and they, they conduct their education as they move through different countries. There is a Facebook, for this, um, Facebook group for this online and it's full of 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families sharing their stories about where they are in the world and what they're learning. And families at World School do meet up with each other as they travel through different countries, which is absolutely fascinating. Nature-based education really does what it says on the tin, um, but it's a very specific learning style that uses nature to teach and learn. So maths might be done through gardening and planting, for example, but it, the idea of nature-based learning is that you use nature, that you use outdoors to teach and learn. So some families do project-based learning, which is used in structured and unstructured approaches, where their project focuses on multi-disciplines, multi-subjects, and you might have more than one topic for um, a project. And younger children, if they're too young to, to build a larger project or portfolio, they tend to use lap books, which are the foundational stepping stone onto being project-based learning. So Charlotte Mason is one of the other interesting ones because Charlotte Mason is a philosophy that inspired education quite significantly among our participants. It was one of the more common mentioned and that was popular among families that identified as Christian, Muslim, Jewish and a number of other um, subgroups that and there's, there's actually Facebooks and support groups for, for all the different diverse groups that come under the Charlotte Mason. So that was quite interesting that that was so popular across so many platforms. Steiner is obviously another one. Um, and I would say what else is interesting is that families tend to have more than one approach and they tend to blend the approaches to, to best suit their, their family fit. So with all this diversity going on, what unites home educators? First and foremost, in the interviews, every single parent said we're child-led. And that seemed to, to, to be a theme that come up again and again in the survey. And child-led seemed, seemed to mean from the survey responses that it was child-centered and centralized the child as the most important and not the curriculum. Autonomous learning. There was a really heavy emphasis on educational freedom, learning when the child was ready, and learning according to the child's interests. One of the other shared, um, I think, shared cultures of, of home education is that the child is seen as a co-creator of their education. And the children are often able to take the lead in shaping their education as well as their educational path based on their interests. Another significant uh, common cultural practice is this community-based education. There was a significant amount of education conducted outside of the home in museums, parks, libraries, community halls. There was a massive list of where all these, these community-based education takes place. And that was, again, almost unanimous in all of the participants. So these are a few more of the things that, that the majority of parents said. Um, they tried to create environments that were enabling for their child that had suitable material for the way they wanted to learn in a way that would support the child's learning. They would provide the right materials or resources. They would help them understand. And I think one of the interesting things that came out of this, and I think it really suggests more of a growth mindset of the type for the parents that do this. The majority of parents talked about learning alongside their children, but also doing their own learning. So a significant number of families actually took on extra learning 
not necessarily what the child was interested in, but maybe their own interests and took on courses or extra qualifications. And I think that from listening to their responses, that seemed to help them understand what it was like to be a learner again. And I think that's probably a really, really useful and valuable skill for any educator to remember how to be a learner because it's not always easy. The other thing that home educators do is that they focus on the journey of education rather than the outcome. That's not to say that the outcome isn't important. And as children reach 13 or 14, we saw that parents had a shift in their narrative. And rather than being play-based, they shifted to a more structured approach and began to think about working towards GCSEs. Well, I'll come to GCSEs or exams later. So this was another quote from one of our parents. Again, this was a response to the nation calling themselves homeschooling. No, I do not feel homeschooling is the same as home education. The current rising homeschooling is based on work sent home, like an online school, and does not focus on the individual child's needs, ideas, desires for learning, and does not follow interests as such. I think it focuses on pre-made curriculum and completing tasks set for the child, rather than allowing the child to make decisions and take time to explore. In no way does it resemble home education, as home education takes place anywhere and everywhere, indoors and outdoors, daily at all hours. Again, it was a sentiment that came up again and again and again in our participant responses. Okay, why? Why do any research into home education? Is it important and who should do it? I think what our, what our survey has showed is that it is important to do education, to do research into home education. And one of our findings was that there does seem to be systematic discrimination when it comes to home educators and the exam cancellations really personified this. The cancellation of exams policy seemed to really work well for children who were in school, but it didn't consider the impact or the implications for children who were sitting as private candidates as home educators. Another example is, is why, we need, why we need the research is that the policies that inform government and the research that informs policy can be really, is really important when you're trying to navigate the landscape of education. And when there isn't any research, when, when research is very small and the, the policy Ofsted paper from 2019 demonstrated this quite well, the Ofsted paper talked about the survey that they'd done and they talked about the participant numbers and that their survey was supposed and did inform policy on home education. The, the Ofsted policy looked at the transition of secondary age, age pupils into home education and they had 16 parents and eight children. It in no way represents the 60 plus thousand of the home educators that we are aware of in the UK. There is a lot of mistrust between the home education community and research bodies as well as government bodies. And I can come to the reasons why that is in a few slides time. But I think it's really, really important that we look at the research into home education and then we try and improve it. Part of the reason for the mistrust is the language. 
And this was something that I, we didn't really anticipate when we did the study. The language that's used to describe aspects of home education are often at odds with what they mean to home educators. And they're often borrowed as, and from school, from a school context. So unschooling, de-schooling, you know, they're, they're kind of almost the opposite of school if you didn't know what the term meant. But when you ask home, home educators what those words mean and what the implications of those words are, you get a very different picture. And I think one really good example of this is the government guidelines for local authorities when in regarding home education. In the guidelines, if a family tells you tells the local authority that they are de-schooling, that's considered a period or that's considered not giving education. They've massively misunderstood what it means to de-school. The families that talked about de-schooling talked about a period of recuperation, of recovery, not of preparation because most people that enter into home education are entering it prepared with resources, with ideas, and with, a, with a, an estimate of how long they're going to do it, whether that's a permanent transition or whether it's a temporary transition of a year or six months while they change school place. But the majority of families do enter into home education and plan it. Where de-schooling seems to be misunderstood is that this de-schooling, and perhaps there's a better name for it, um, actually seems to be a period where families are detaching from the notion of having to do nine till three, structured education, formal instructed, instructed education, perhaps on worksheets or written out. And they're transitioning to a more holistic way of educating um, that and looking at their child's learning style, looking at what activities are near them, and that can take a varying amount of time. And I think it's something that we need to look more deeply at because it seems that there is this language gap often causes issues between home educating families and local policymakers. So who is supposed to do the research? If home educators are reluctant to engage in local authority research or in government research or Ofsted research, Who's supposed to do it? Well, I think it has to be driven by home educators themselves. We have to be asking home educators what they want researched, what they're prepared to take part in, and then we can develop from there. I know one response when, because we do get the people sharing research and that they'd like to, people to participate, and we often get, oh, not another question about socialization. Families often come up against the same research over and over, and it often suggests that the researcher, wherever they're from, hasn't understood what it means to home educate, so they're asking the wrong questions, and parents are unwilling to participate in that. All the questions are designed in a way that feels derogatory to home education, and again, parents are reluctant to engage. I would say one other successful um, survey that I'm aware of beyond our own was um, Paula Rotherham. Paula Rothmore is a really good example and she did a study of the PIPs baseline on young children in the early years and her, her study correlated with an American study which suggests that home educated children are typically a year ahead of their schooled, peered, schooled peers and that was actually put down to the amount of time they had to play to be creative and to think 
and that allowed for a, a slightly different development in terms of what they have how they performed on the pips baseline so going back to the research findings why systematic discrimination i've got a lovely parent quote here which kind of really gives a good example of, of this and a lot of parents experiences the lockdown has exposed our home education experience to the mainstream and i think this could be positive in some ways making elective home education better understood and accepted however the extent to which our situation is misunderstood by the educational establishment has been shockingly exposed through the failure of Ofqual to find a solution to provide grades to private candidates entered for exams this year they seem to have had no notion that children can study independently and successfully and that home educating families are doing this in such numbers The public bodies responsible for exam, for exam cancellations should have made a decision and a provision for all students equally, rather than providing a solution for school children. There seems to be a lack of understanding about how many home educators sat. We still don't know. We don't have any official figures about how many home educators sat the, the, as private candidates. And there seems to be real no, real real lack of understanding about how home education works. So the exam cancellation policy didn't take into account that most home educators don't sit a mock exam, with one parent telling us she had a quote of 500 pound to sit a mock exam. Most home educated parents have to plan in advance before they do GCSEs to account for the cost. And lots of home educated parents and young people plan to do exams over two years, partly because of the cost and the difficulty that it that can be posed by booking um, as a private candidate and finding an exam centre, an exam board. So one of the issues that has come to light as a result of the exam cancellations beyond the initial problems of children not getting a grade is that lots of exam centres now are reportedly closing i know cornwall's got two exam centers that parents have been told will be closing after next year and lots of parents are reporting that due to the chaos caused this year with the government guidelines and private candidates that lots of parents are being told they won't be able to sit their child as a private candidate or as a home educator in the in the setting that they had arranged this year and that's actually looking to be quite common and it's posing the question of how some families in more remote areas particularly are going to access their exams and i think this really needs to be addressed because each child regardless of their education um, mode and education home education is a legal option so it should be considered equally with mainstream education and i think there has to be a real question about in light of these closures or these refusals of home educated pupils and private candidates how are some of these families going to access education how are they going to access their exams the national qualifications that are going to lead them on to the next steps in their education and i think this is a real issue we need to be addressed so going back to what we could learn from parents during their lockdown experience and what we might be able to um, learn in a school setting 
Um, we, it showed parents were really good at using mixed learning platforms. Children had a lot of experience if they were home educated with blending le blended learning styles. And parents and children that were home educated did, didn't differentiate between school and home. They didn't differentiate between learning and home. It was all blended as well as the way they learn. The survey showed that many parents used lockdown, as we know, as an opportunity to teach life skills, coping skills, to develop emotional literacy, mental health and well-being skills. And I think the adaptability and the ability to change focus, to prioritise what was right for the children was really an interesting finding and lots of parents reported that they didn't believe the home educated parents didn't believe that by reducing the academic learning that their child would be hindered in any way they didn't believe that stopping formal learning or reducing formal learning during the crisis would have a negative impact on their children's education because they said they realized stressed and worried children would find it difficult to learn so by prioritizing the children's emotional well-being, their happiness and their coping skills, they responded that they knew that that meant that when the time was right, that their children would then be able to pick up on their learning much quicker, which I think was a really interesting point. Parents showed really high levels of leadership and organization. They were very quick to reorganize things and find alternatives for their children. They also encouraged their children to be independent learners. <clears throat> they encouraged communication and they encouraged being flexible and adjusting. None of the home educators had fixed timetables during this time. The majority said they were very flexible. If the child didn't feel like learning, they didn't force them to. If they wanted to do things at the weekend, they changed what they were doing in the week. And I think that flexibility went a long way towards maintaining the child's learning and their maintaining their education. And here's a really good quote from one of our parents. We have only had to adjust the balance in lockdown. We'll simply readjust back in a way that works best for our team and their needs. So the other things that came out that made home education generally more successful in continued education during lockdown was the parents had responded that they had more trust that their children wanted to learn. And that they trusted that they were capable of directing their own learning. Families didn't differentiate between the school day and the home day. And they also saw education as an extension of parenting. And they trusted that learning happened all the time. Here's another one of our parents. Our approach is tailored to stimulate and provide the practical life and academic skills necessary to live happily healthily and achieve potential in whatever area our child wishes. All right, so due to the phenomenal support from the home education community from our original research and with significant findings of systematic discrimination, particularly in light of exam cancellation policy, um, it's really exciting that we can open, um, we're opening an extension to the survey to further explore some of the important issues raised in the original, and we're aiming to have a much larger survey. We're still trying to verify, but we do think that we have the largest study of UK home educators to date, but 453 is not representative of the 60,000 plus home educators. 
So this time we're aiming for between three to 6,000, maybe more, and to try and truly be a bit more representative of the wider home education community and their voice. There is more research to do. I can't stress that enough. There is much more to do. And in the meantime, there's more to be done. We're using our research paper to support parents fighting for their children's exams and to get their child's next step in education. This research is vital and it can and is being used to change the landscape for home educators for the better. It can be used as evidence of discrimination for exams and we are intending to push for free exams or ease of access with them, which currently doesn't exist. This, educate, this evidence can and is being used to pressure government and policymakers to change the current situation with regards to 2020 exams and, a, and to try and prevent a generation of home-educated children who are now missing out on their next step of education and face losing access to exams next year. We're working alongside Alison Sauer from the Centre for Personalised Education and I will be campaigning to get justice for this group of young people. We've had our research feature in The Guardian, The Times, iNews, Women's Hour, BBC Radio 4, BBC Newsnight and a host of other local media. I would stress now, if you are home educated and your young person has been affected by exam cancellations, please do get in touch and I will happily give my uni email at the end because more action is due to be taken with regards to Centre for Personalised Learning personalised education and you can give your story. All right, questions. Anybody got any questions? <laughs> Thank you for listening. That was a very long time. <laughs> There's been some great conversation going on in the chat, Joe. I don't if you want to stop sharing <laughs> the screen. Um, we can maybe pull out some highlights. I'd encourage people to uh, either wave if you're on video or use the raise hand function by participants. We've got a raised hand from Derry, I can see. Uh, yeah, I will if you like. I'm very wary of the sort of patriarchy uh, at work. As it purely, were. purely that you were quickest at getting your hand up, so we'll make sure we don't, don't miss anyone. Yeah, you, you, you mute me as fast as you like. Yeah, well, I'm Derry. I work a lot with school student organisations in various countries and Abesso, Abesso, uh, which is the European group. At the time when Badman and Balls, what two wonderful names, tried to shut down home education in 2009. Um, I, I was at Hesfest with one of my home ed grandchildren talking with various kids and I said to them, you know, the school student organisations are very effective in Europe. Why don't you start a home ed students organisation? And they did. We went around Hesfest and said, it's going to be a meeting at two o'clock in the big end. And 60 kids turned up and they formed HACI, the Home Education Youth Council. It was incredibly effective in preventing the Labour government at that time, shutting down home education and persuading the Tories the best thing to do was to leave it alone. They went and met the uh, uh, parliamentary all-party committee on education and were incredibly impressive and absolutely gobsmacked the politicians who thought these aren't these kids aren't losing out by god they're the brightest kids we've ever met they went to the dfe 
And when the DFE official refused to meet them, they sat down in the entrance to the DFE. They phoned three or four newspapers who came and took photographs, and suddenly officials were willing to talk to them. So I think the kids organised, the home-ed kids, had a big effect on persuading politicians to leave home-ed alone in 2009-2010. Now, I know Hasey continued to exist for a bit, but Joanna, does it still exist? And did you come across it in your research? If it doesn't still exist, maybe it needs um, resurrecting because young people's groups are on the rise these days in mainstream schooling. You've got Teach the Future demanding curriculum change over climate. You've got Pupil Power demanding uh, a fairer deal for BAME students, etc., etc. Maybe now is the time for the home ed kids to get organised again. Yeah, thanks for that, Derry. Um, as far as I'm aware, it does exist, but it's not quite so active. Although I agree, the student voices actually are, are as or if not more powerful than a lot of the adult voices. And I think that's really important that the young people's voices, especially those who are impacted right now with exam cancellations, are heard. You know, this is their entire future. They absolutely should have a voice in this. So as far as our study went, our study focused on the parents in all honesty, we didn't think it was going to be quite so big. We didn't think it would be so well received. And there's a lot more paperwork involved if you're involving children or minors. So initially, we went with the adults. I think it's really, really important that the children's voice or the young people's voice is heard. And not through us, but I am aware that there are steps being taken in order to ensure that their voice does have a platform. So thank you for asking. Hi, uh, yeah, it's not such an academic question. It was just a simple one. Um, I, I'm not sure. I just caught this through Facebook and we obviously been home educating um, well before COVID. And I just wondered how the survey was put out and why we missed it and on what platform it was put out and how we can tap into the next wider research that you might do potentially. Um, we suffered with the exam cancellation, but because my daughter is not, of um, the traditional um, age for exams, we got absolutely no help at all and were just told, well, you've got next year, so suck it up. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, initially, again, our, th we didn't think the research would be so big. Typically, even with projects with a massive amount of funding, you tend to only get at the maximum 30 participants. My professor said, you know what, we can do this and there's some funding, but you know, if you can get 20 people, <laughs> So initially it actually started, I'm a home educator myself in case people don't know that. So it started actually initially passing it through my own network and it evolved with word of mouth. And then people started sharing it on a lot of the Facebook pages for home education. And that, because a lot of families already knew that I was a home educator, I think there was an element of, I don't know if trust is the right word, but there was an element that I was, I was a home educator. So, so maybe it's worth looking at. So so we didn't plan for it to be quite so big. This time, we are planning on using the university website to host it on. Mm -hmm. And it will be shared, hopefully, I think the plan is it's going to be shared on a lot of the main home education groups. So Home Education UK, Centre mm -hmm. for Personalised Learning, Education Otherwise, 
Um, possibly some of the exam centres have also expressed that they might be willing to share with some of the families ex ex um, that have been experiencing the exam cancellations. I would also say that you're not the only one whose child is outside of the typical age bracket. But mm -hmm. that actually shouldn't matter. You know, no. if all children are fee treated equally and fairly, they mm -hmm. should have an equal chance, an opportunity to access these national qualifications at whatever time they approach them. They should they also, be. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Sorry to cut across you, but also they don't seem to acknowledge at all or put any credence behind the fact that you may have your own schedule at home, although your child may, you know, my daughter has to do things in sort of bite-sized chunks. She isn't so good at um, managing across a board several, you know, subjects at once. So the bite-sized approach for us um, has worked a lot better to allow her to reach her potential. But there is no consideration given to that at all, that this may actually then place a higher burden on her next year or um, the year after and actually put her behind her own our own plan of education if you like and there was no credence given to that at all no and do you know what that came up so often I mean after the initial survey closed once we saw that the exams had been an issue and again I'd say this was an unprompted response so it's not a question we asked initially it's not one we anticipated um getting an answer to and we didn't we so we didn't ask the question about exams this was an unprompted response and I think that goes towards showing the the extent that parents were wanting to voice their opinion on this so what we found was when I talk about the systematic discrimination with policy what they look at with the policy it seems is children who are 16 to 19 accessing GCC's yeah. A-levels, what we know from the culture of home education that differs from the school system that needs to be considered in policy making is that children in home education tend to sit their exams or qualifications in whatever form that takes, MBQ, ETEC, GCSE, they tend to sit them over several years. That's in part due to cost, that's in part due to the children's learning needs or in part due to family circumstance. So children tend to sit between three and five, uh, sorry, between two and five GCSEs and they tend to sit them over two to three years. So the, the structure of home education differs very differently to the structure of school where everybody goes through, everybody does their GCSEs in year 11. That doesn't happen in home education and that really needs to be considered by policymakers when they're looking at things like the exam cancellations, there were lots of parents in your position who had children that would actually, by taking a year out, would actually be outside of the 16 to 19 funding and therefore lose the potential to continue their education at all. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's completely, this is the systematic discrimination that we're talking about. The policy for exam cancellation was designed around school children and not all children. And even even the, the the current system and the current policy with mock exams um, being sat in the November and re sorry sorry not mock exams um, resits sat in the November series that normally happens outside of COVID and everything else um, 
we were looking at being able to resit and examine the November, but was told because she was not 16, even though they would allow her to sit the main GCSE in the June, she was actually prevented from doing a resit of that exam if she didn't gain the grade she wanted because she wasn't un, um, over 16 in the November. I mean, that is just ludicrous to have actually allowed her to sit it and then to say she can't do a resit because of yep. her age. And, and actually this, this, this idea or this notion that there's an expiry age yes. or best before age on, on when you can do your exams really doesn't fit with the culture of home education. And we have examples of children who are younger than 16, not yep. allowed to sit their resits, and older than the 16 to 19 funding and not allowed to sit resits. There's this absurd age limit on education that directly results, relates to a school structure and it doesn't consider that home educated children sit exams at very different ages depending on when they're ready yeah and so it it's an really valid it's an active discrimination in that it's um i do believe in my heart having gone through this for a couple of years now that that there is a, a genuine feeling that you are discouraged from home educating. The system is set up to make you fail. It's set up to put you off. It's set up to make it difficult. And it is not there to support you. So there is this general feeling that I, having come into it blind, that the government absolutely does not support home education and nor does it want to see more people going down that road. You know, I think that was a sentiment expressed very, very commonly, particularly in interviews where people got to talk a little bit longer. And I would say my answer to that would be engage in research because we live in a data-driven world and you need data in order to be able to tackle a lot of these big issues, particularly when it comes to policy making. So it doesn't have to be our study, although I would love anybody who's home educated to do it, any research that comes in about home education, take a look at it, look at the intentions of it, speak to the researchers, find out what they want to find out and see if you're willing to engage. But I would say that the, the lack of research is part of the issue of the misunderstood policy and misguided policies around home education. Thank mm -hmm. you for that, Max. That was a really good question. Quick question, yeah. Um, you said that we will need more research, right? And that the number of samples were kind of limited and that a bigger number of samples would uh, be beneficial. But do you think that uh, that more of a quantitative approach when talking about a much bigger number of uh, samples could not really represent the kind of like the qualities or the real meaning behind uh, home education because some I don't know until what point the quantitative method can really show the you know the best out of this on the idea of you know uh, looking for causality and all of those things so how can we bring yeah. the qualities of the qualitative research to a bigger number of yeah thank you that's a really good question um with our smaller study, it was mostly qualitative. So we had a lot of space for, we had a little bit of numerical data gathered, but we had a lot of open space to allow for conversation, to allow for explanations, to gain that deeper insight into what people really meant. And that was, we used mixed methods as well. So we had the survey, the digital survey that people could fill out, and we had the, the kind of semi-structured interviews. So 
the idea for the next one is that we'll use a lot of the deeper understanding that we have about what home educators mean when they talk about things. And we, we're trying to create questions because you're right, with a, with a study that big, you can't analyze everybody's conversation or a long, long verbal answers. That's much harder and takes much longer. So we're going to try and have the data collected in a way that asks questions where we can collect the quantitative data and give us some facts and figures, but based on the original research that's given us that deeper insight. So hopefully the questions will reflect in a, in a much more authentic way what home educators mean and from a home education perspective. So that's the hope. There will also be some elements of providing short paragraph answers and we'll use some some software there is some software out there that we'll be using that will kind of help us analyze without going through each one one by one um, will help us analyze that that dialogue so it's a really good question and to be honest the answer is it's a bit of a balancing act but we're drawing off the original survey to give us some of the questions for that but a very good question thank you thanks thank you so much there's a very quick question in the chat to ask whether the new survey will include, the new research will include the Channel Islands. Yes, it will be UK wide and including UK citizens who are currently living abroad temporarily or travelling as world schoolers. Scotland, Ireland, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, Channel Islands. Yes. Okay. I can see hands up next from, um, sorry, I'm going to mispronounce your name. Is it um, Fado? Yes. Go for it. Hi. Hi. Hi, Adrian. <laughs> um, thank you, Joe. It was a very good presentation. Um, I think what I'd like to make clear to the people who are uh, either home educating or interested um, at the moment. I'm, I'm doing a PhD in home education and I know Joe from her work and from other things we've done together. Um, I think what Joe's doing here is really good, which is first of all, getting out in the public, which is so important that, um, that the media presentation and the general public know what home education is because there, because there's not, there has not been much, much interest from researchers is because there is no exposure of home educators out there at the moment. We've seen recently in ITV, I think, was a program where there was one home educating family, which did all the things right. In the end, they didn't win event because there's still that stigma on home educators. Um, so the, what, what, what I would like to see is that researchers like Joanna, like myself, like other people who go out there in the media, in the public, and um, disseminate their research out there so that it generates more interest from other researchers who have no connection to home education because at the moment it's us home educators who are doing the research on home education but what i would like to see is other academics educationalists who are doing research in education because of the fact that home education is part of our education system it's not an odd, an odd uh, phenomenon that people who are weird or the other ones out are doing. It, we should integrate it and accept it as part of our education system, as an option for people who'd like to do it, not as something weird. 
So that's why disseminating research is so, so important. And that's why the other question from, I can't remember what the name was, about qualitative research is so important that we get more qualitative research out there, not quantitative, because with quantity, you only get numbers and data, which is not new in research at the moment. We need new data. We need qualitative um, data out, um, out in the public, understand why we're doing what are the problems in home medicating um you know get students voices get there at the moment there is not one single research in the uk done on students voice in home educating not a single one in general there is one paper that i found by chance from south south africa on home educating uh, teenagers getting the voice out there so this 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 is really really um disappoint this uh, disproportionate this proportionate so um that's why it's really important to have these events like joanna's doing now so i'm really proud of you well done joanna and um yes get more research out there thank in you the public. <laughs> thank you very much and um I, I think that you're right lots of educators don't know that home education is even a category that needs researching i know when i first started at university i spoke to one of the unnamed very high up very very influential lecturers in education who did inform policy i said we need to do some research on home education he said oh but aren't they all unsocialized <laughs> no and we're a fascinating diverse well organized <laughs> yes very interesting same, group <laughs> same university you know director of studies head of departments haven't got a clue what home education, education is. They, they didn't even know, some, some of them didn't even know it existed. So that's really, really bad from, from one university, which, you know, the education department of universities not knowing anything about home education. It's really poor, it's really bad. It is, especially, and I think I would like to see not just more education research into home education, but I would like to see that on PGCSEs, on educational courses at university and when when universities declare themselves as leading in education i would like all of those things to include home education because it's a legal option in the uk you know we learn about private schools if you in education you learn about private school systems you learn about the standard school system you don't get taught about home education as a legal option i've lost track of the amount of teachers as you said lecturers heads of department who have said is it legal <laughs> yes why don't you know that or oh yeah but they have to follow the curriculum how do parents know how to do that no they don't have to follow the curriculum mm -hmm. i think there is a massive massive chasm between what's considered education and actually the reality of education is it, that it is far more than just a school education and i would like to see especially on teacher training courses or on education courses elements of home education being taught that was a really good question thank you so i'm just going to do a quick time check um we're getting a lot of new questions in the chat um, <laughs> now <laughs> i'm going to propose they are this is this is always how it goes uh, i'm going to propose so sarah noted that she had hands up in the chat and eleanor has had her hands up for a chat i'm going to propose that we go to sarah and then eleanor and if we've still got time then go to derry and then draw it to a close so if anybody has got any other questions or comments that they want to post in the chat please do keep that that conversation going as well Hiya, okay, thanks for taking my question. Um, 
I, I apologise, I did come in late, so I may have missed something. And, and I would just like to say what you've just been discussing, Fadua and, um, and Joanna, I, I totally agree with what you both said. And I'm sure most people do. And I think that the problem is, is that home education is a legal option. And, and um, yes, we could get it onto the PGCE courses. In fact, I teach on an education module with the Open University. So it's a good idea. I'll feed back to them because in their literature, it says children must be at school. You know, it says it in the literature that they give out and it's open university. They should be kind of favorable to home education. It's similar ethos. So um, I will action that. It's only one university, but it's, it's something. But the other thing that I think is that actually, because it is a legal option, then, um, the, you know, we're not supported. Um, we're not supported for, you know, we have to pay for exams. There isn't information out there. You're, you're having to scurry around if you've, if you've gone through the education system yourself. I used to be a teacher in a state school. You've got a heads up. Well, that's not fair. Actually, all home educators should be given all that information when they choose to home educate, rather than it being dependent on your previous experience and knowledge. And um, I have put this to the Welsh Government um, because they did a, um, a consultation recently. I had a, had a conference call. and I was really saying, look, the onus is on you to provide free and available exam support specifically in Wales now that they're all gone and um, most of the WJC exams involve controlled assessment or coursework so they exclude home educators because they don't have a centre and they did say that they're doing a pilot in Paris at the moment but then you know obviously Covid so it all stops because you know home educators you know can just press pause you know it's ridiculous the point is is that I do think that there is a political point here. Yes, we can do more research um, and, and raise awareness in media and try and engage with home educators to, to be involved with that. And that's all part of the picture. But also there is a political agenda here. It's a legal option. It should be supported. The onus is on the governments of the four nations of the UK to support home educators, enable them to allow their children to take qualifications, whatever qualifications that might work for them. Not all home educated kids want to go down the GCSE route, but all the options should be there. I've supported as a teacher, her home educated child who wasn't able to really, um, it wasn't realistic to think that he would get um, a GCSEs in math and English. There's no support for him to be able to do the basic certificate because it's assessment because it's like controlled assessment then then and it's not exam based because he wasn't able to probably perform very well in that setup where's the support for people who you know there's a whole range of people who are home educated they should all be supported just in the same way as people who go to school are purportedly supported and you know that's not always unfortunately true so i think there's a political agenda and i think yes we could talk to the universities but actually the political agenda and carrying on from what debbie was saying earlier with the voice of the young people and things. Maybe a spin-off that could be actually actioned from this is given that you have a lot of engaged parents here. Um, my daughter's 14, who I home educate. You know, I think maybe the, the, um, 
the secondary school-ish kind of age group, puberty kids, you know, will be able to become quite actively involved. I would like it, if it's possible, Joanna, for you to maybe set up some way that we can all communicate with each other and actually set up some kind of active teenage group maybe through zoom meetings or something which can actually get them engaged but the problem that i have is i live in a very rural area and although i have networked a lot and um, people are really spaced out and then in wales when you're not allowed to travel more than five miles well that's it game over there's no one within five miles so if we could action that um i don't know how you feel about it joanna if you're able to do that maybe some um people would obviously have to give their permission but maybe you could ask people who'd be interested and then get something together i wouldn't mind trying to coordinate that if it's outside of your remit i think that would be a really good way forward to get politically active to actually try and make a, a, the, the governments need to take responsibility to enable home educated children to take exams if you it's almost a bit arse about face, if you excuse me, by saying we've been discriminated against with COVID-19. Well, we have. And it's a great opportunity to engage people. But actually, um, the onus isn't on us. The onus is on them to allow our kids to take exams. And that's what needs to change. Yeah, I, I thank you for that, Sarah. And I, I do agree with you wholeheartedly personally but I think the research really points to that as well and I think I think one thing that could be possible and I, I will feed this back to the Centre for Social Mobility at Exeter University that we could perhaps look potentially at doing a, a student or a youth voice focus group as part of the survey and try and organise a, a youth voice focus group where they can take part in the research as a collective group in one or two sittings and give their feedback that way with parental consent. So that does take a little bit of time and negotiation, but I think that's a really a possible, really useful way to go forward with it that, that might not take too much time. And we could have maybe pockets of volunteer parents to, uh, to recruit the youths in their area that might want to get involved. So thank you. So, Eleanor, next. Hi, yeah, thank you for giving me a chance. I'm, I hope my internet <laughs> keeps cutting out, so if I cut out, I apologise. Um, I just wanted to say, first of all, I, did, I was one of the ones who did your survey, and it was such a pleasure to talk to you. And it's really, really um, nice to see that, as you thought, that so much common ground came out from the research. But, I mean, I just, I just find it so frustrating that there's such this strong fear of being discriminated against about being told you can't do it the way you want to do it of although it's a legal option constantly feeling like we're on the back foot and that we're doing something wrong and if we're too open someone's going to tell you you can't do it that way and constantly feeling that you're having to fight to get to do what you're doing that people don't engage and I you know although I know you're really pleased with 453 responses um it's so frustrating because everyone is so vocal in the Facebook groups you ask you know for a book and you get a million responses everyone is so quick to jump into that and yet the fear is so strong and it we're seeing it even more now because obviously there are hundreds of new people that are suddenly launching themselves into home education as of September and we're all being asked our advice and trying to show that we're supportive but at the same time in the back of our heads thinking oh my god is this actually helping us or not if millions of people suddenly jump out of school and go into home ed are we going to suddenly have 
loads more involvement and rules from government and that sort of thing so there's this always this the sort of two-edged sword of should we engage or is it detrimental to us if we do um but i really hope that if we show this um that i don't know when you're doing the next set of research but i think if we get some of them some people on side to help encourage people to take part i mean the biggest thing for me was that you mentioned um, you mentioned it when we had the survey, when we had the conversation, and you also mentioned it earlier. I'd love if you could sort of give us the actual definite figures, because you know someone will go and check it, um, on how many people were actually involved in those surveys that they did for policy. Because I find that shocking. I find it absolutely ridiculous that so few people were involved in something that was so important. And I honestly think if we... If, we're the, if you're going to have parents that are going to help share this survey and try and encourage, I really do think that pointing that out is really important because most of us are so vocal and so passionate about this that I find it, to me personally, I find it, I find it really shocking that nobody takes more interest in and wants to know my opinion. I want to give my opinion quite strongly. And I'd like to think that there are more of us like that. And if we can sort of publicize the fact that it's actually a very good survey and that they have got the grips of what home education actually is, um, I'm hoping that it, you'll get an even better response. Because I, although, you're, I know, although I know you're really pleased with 453, I would want it to be much bigger than that. I would want them to see, and I think the common ground will continue. Um, I really think we should be able to do better than that. If we can get 8,000 of us together to get free museum trips, then why can't we get 8,000 of us together for the research? Because yeah. that would actually do something. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I just wanted to put my five cents worth in. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Eleanor. And I remember you as one of my participants. Oh. <laughs> I am... Um, I recognise a couple of you participants, actually, which is lovely. Um, I I would say yes, it's it's incredibly frustrating sitting on this side of the research as a researcher, and also having the experience on the other side as a home educator, knowing that the home education community can actually rally itself into very powerful, forceful groups to do things but they tend not to engage in research. They engage with the, um, <clears throat> with the Welsh, I know they engage with the Welsh consultation really well, but in a way it kind of came too little too late. You know, we need people to engage in this beforehand, but I think we have to have conversations within the home education community about overcoming some of the fear around engaging, but also, I think it's not unreasonable to demand that when there is research, that it's research that isn't actively, intentionally or unintentionally detrimental to home education, which unfortunately some is purely because they've misunderstood or don't have an understanding of the culture of home education. And I think that it's okay to demand better standards of research when, when, it, when you come across it in the groups. But I think you're right, you know, 453 is good, but, but in real time, it's not enough because to be representative of such a massive community of 60 plus thousand, you need a study that is going to reflect that. I know there's a term that, that researchers sometimes use that the, the mother, the child should, should look like the mother. And that just means 
that the wider community of home education should be reflected in a smaller way, but just as widely in the research when you have a study. So for 60,000 or more, and of course, that's just the ones they think they know about. We know there's a lot more than that. That 453 is not a drop in the ocean. So it does need to be that 6,000 or 8,000 to really try and represent and be able to say this study represents home education really well or this study can generalize widely about home education because of the number of participants and I, I you're right I genuinely hope that it is off the back of the success of this one in support of home education that we can get more people to engage in the next one and the more advocates we have for that the better so that would be my my final ask that you do say that you've had experience of it say that it's had a positive impact and that to really encourage people to take part so that we can make a positive change you know we can change the landscape of policy for home education if enough of us get involved and is that as important as getting a museum party we need to really <laughs> really hit home to educators policy is being made on two or three or 16 participants and that's not enough so thank you. Thank you, Joe. Uh, I'm mindful Derry's got his hand up. We've got three minutes left. I'm also really aware that we haven't responded to Anissa's question in the chat around, um, asked a question around, uh, were there families with autistic children involved in your research and what were their motivations for choosing home education? So I wonder whether we can just start that question for now, whether we can invite Derry's question and then give you the final word, Joe, if that's all right. Yeah. I can answer that really quickly. Um, just under half of our survey participants had at least one child with special educational needs. Autism featured very high with the number of participants in both girls and boys. And the motivations differed, and we are still doing the deep analysis, but I would say, just from my experience of reading through them and doing the surveys, I would say that the responses from parents were with autistic children was that they could and I am generalizing a little bit here and we will have more details once it's done a full analysis but the general motivations were because school didn't fit their child home education fitted their child better because the child was allowed to learn in a way that suited them and life generally could be restructured in a way that suited their child and what the child wanted to engage with also had a sense of freedom to that in home education. So the overriding argument I, I would say would be that generally they thought school was not a suitable fit for their child, as well as not having support from schools or an understanding of their child's educational needs or possibly behavioural needs from school, which parents felt they could do better at home. I hope that answers the question. <laughs> and Derry, your question. Yeah, <clears throat> I think we shouldn't underestimate the power of young people in these situations. I think it was the voice of young people that got the government to back off on A-level assessment. Um, it was the, the stories and the voices of young people that were crucial there. And I think perhaps you need could have more than a focus group for, for the students, um, but to actually involve home ed students in 
creating and conducting the research students as researchers idea is catching on in mainstream education why not apply it um, with home ed students and by the way I agree there's no research into the student voice of home ed students but there is a little bit of writing I wrote an article for Roland Meehan's journal education now on the first experiences of HACI home education youth council how it started and what its first successful interactions with officials were I'll try and dig it out and send you a copy but my question is why not involve students in your research not as data but as researchers yeah thank you for that um funny enough i actually posed that as my first research proposal when i started (laughs) but i think unfortunately the reality is funding you know and and i think uh, most of the issues come down to funding getting funding for research can be and is really really difficult Gain funding for research that uses children's voices unless they feel that there is a particular issue that they can address. It's not often engaged with because of the extra, you need parent permission, you need to have safeguarding things in place. So to conduct it and to use, to use children as researchers has been done. It definitely has been done, but it isn't easy to do. And the other thing is, at the moment, there is a time constraint, you know, to deal with this policy change before these current young people are impacted any further. We've got a very, very narrow window. So I'm hoping that the research is out this week. I've been frantically writing up the research questions last night and yesterday and the day before, and I actually had to write this speech this morning. <laughs> so it's it's really happening very, very quickly. And we have to... We have to design the survey in a way that can be got out very quickly, that needs as little permissions as possible. And I think there is definitely a space for for research from young people and even for young people to do their own research because they'll have a different perspective on that. The reality is we need a lot longer time frame and we need to secure funding because it all takes a lot of money. And I think that really is what it comes down to. But I hope, and this is another... A futuristic hope but I hope that and I think this is something that um, Eleanor mentioned or one of you mentioned that you know there isn't actually a national body to represent home educators you know and I think that also means that information is sporadic you have to look around um, while there are some brilliant people in home ed doing brilliant things it is spread around it's not in one place necessarily and I think there is, I think it's probably part of the culture of home education that it's not all strung together. And I think that's probably part of the reason. And I think the funding, you know, because I mean, if you had a national body, you could probably attract funding other ways. But I think because there's pockets, it makes it more difficult. But while I would love to do that kind of research, and I'm sure many other researchers would, I think ultimately it comes down to money. And in this case, it comes down to time. I think appeals are due on the 17th of September. And we're really trying to push to get this study not just out by then, but having a significant number of responses mm. in time for the appeals process before that happens to get some leverage for families. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Joe. I know that there were other sessions starting at four o'clock, so we're starting to, to have a significant number of people drop off. Um, thank you so much for sharing your research um, and for uh, holding such a really exciting conversation.
um, and thank you everyone for participating. Joe, if you've got any final words to, to close us off, please. Oh, thank you. I, I actually really appreciate everyone who's come along to listen and everyone who can take away something from this and pass it on. And I think when we started this research, I, we, we didn't expect to be able to fundamentally face changing the landscape and the policy around home education. But I think that really is a testimony to the power of good research. And so my final request, I think, would be just to urge every single one of you that's home educated, or if you know someone that's home educated, to share the research, take part in it. And if you know someone that's affected by the exams, join the, the exam cancellation group that's on Facebook. And I think now more than ever, we need to remember what unites home educators and that you are a very powerful bunch of dedicated parents who can actually do anything they set their mind to. So let's set our mind to making this a, a better, better environment for home educators to be in. Thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freedom to Learn podcast. For more information about our work, check out our website at freedomtolearn.uk and find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.